Well, we're going to go back to the subject of fellowship this morning. I want you to have your Bible in hand if it's somewhere in the pile there between your feet. Uh, get it up where you can use it. We're going to turn to the Word of God a little bit this morning and talk about this matter of fellowship. Uh, we're dividing the subject into three sections. Last time kind of gave you a definition and a bit of an exhortation about fellowship. Today we want to talk a little further about the, the nature of fellowship, what it really is, and then on Friday how it works. Just uh, sort of summing up what I said on Monday, fellowship is sharing in the realities of spiritual life. That's kind of the key definition we wanted you to get. Fellowship is sharing in the realities of spiritual life. A lot of you came up afterwards and asked me questions, and I told you in almost every case that I would answer those questions as we went through the series because uh, they were really good questions, so we'll dive right into that today. I want to cover several things, the basis of fellowship, the nature of fellowship, and the danger to fellowship, and hopefully we can get through those things this morning in a little time that we have. Let's talk about the basis of fellowship. Several of you asked me about it yesterday, so you're re- or Monday, so you're really tracking with me as we think through this particular theme. And the, uh, the question is, what is the basis, what is the foundation, what is the commonality uh, upon which fellowship exists? What's the common ground? Or to put it another way, who do I have fellowship with and who don't I have fellowship with? What is the real basis of fellowship? Is it, uh, is it emotional? Am I re- responsible to have fellowship with people that I'm attracted to, uh, that I'm drawn to emotionally or socially? Is it um, denominational? Am I, am I supposed to have fellowship with people who uh, are in my church and my little uh, piece of the, the evangelical pie? Is my fellowship restricted to those people who are a part of, uh, of my associations? Is it ecumenical? Am I supposed to have fellowship uh, based upon some definition of ecumenicity that transcends my own denomination or fellowship? Is it cultural? Uh, Is my fellowship limited to people within my culture? Is it racial? Is it limited or unlimited with regard to that? Well, of course, the answer is no to all of those. Fellowship is not based upon any emotional link. It is not based on any denominational link, any ecumenical structure. It is not based upon any societal strata, it's not based on culture, it's not based on race. Are you ready for this? Fellowship is not even based on theology. It's not even based on doctrine. It is it is not even experiential. Fellowship is based on something that is absolute, that is spiritual, and that is divine. First John one three is a good place to start this morning. First John one three And as John writes, he's talking about proclaiming Christ. He says in verse 3, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you. And, of course, what he had seen and heard was the living Christ, the incarnate God, the word of life, as he calls him in verse 1. And we we proclaim Christ to you. And here's the reason. In order that, this is a purpose clause in the original, in order that you also may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father, and with his son, Jesus Christ. John says, we preach the gospel. We preach the word of life. We preach God incarnate in Christ. We preach Jesus in order that we might have fellowship. In other words, the goal of preaching the gospel is to create a fellowship. That's really very, very important to understand. The goal of preaching the gospel is to create a fellowship. It isn't just to bring a bunch of isolated people to faith. It isn't just to bring them to forgiveness and salvation and the hope of eternal life and ultimately heaven. 
but it is to bring them all together in a common bond, a common community of people with shared spiritual life. The goal, then, of the preaching of the gospel is to create a fellowship, a fellowship of people who share common life, common power, common purpose, common ministry. Now, when you become a Christian, then, you become a member of the fellowship. The word fellowship, as I told you Monday, means partnership. And everybody who's a Christian is a partner with everybody else who's a Christian. You remember I mentioned 1 Corinthians 6.17, He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. If we're all joined to the Lord and become one with Him, then we're one with everybody else who's joined with Him. So when you became a Christian, you came into the fellowship. When I grew up, I used to hear preachers say something all the time. They would say, you know, if there's sin in your life, you're out of fellowship. You ever hear that phrase? A lot of Christians are out of fellowship. Well, let me just kind of correct that. That's an utter impossibility. When you became a Christian, you came into a permanent, eternal fellowship. You share the common life of Christ. You are a partaker of the divine nature, as the Bible says. You belong to God. You are in Christ. Your life is hid with Christ in God. That is a forever situation, and you are permanently and forever, for time and eternity, in the fellowship. It is impossible to be out of the fellowship. Therefore, the fellowship can be defined as everybody who is a Christian. Nobody goes in and out of it. Anybody who's ever saved comes in and stays forever. So what is the basis of fellowship? Salvation. Anybody who is a believer is in the fellowship. That puts us all there. We're all in the fellowship with God, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, and with every other believer. Nobody is outside the fellowship. And the fellowship is as wide as the body of Christ. It is as far-reaching as those who are saved. In Philippians 2.1, Paul calls it the fellowship of the Spirit. John says it is fellowship with the Father and with His Son. So we have all the members of the Trinity, plus all believers, all involved in a single fellowship, a single partnership. So again, the objective in the proclamation of the gospel is to make a person part of an eternal partnership, sharing common eternal life, partaking of the divine nature with every other person who is saved. There is no one who is a Christian who is not in the fellowship. Therefore, we have responsibility to manifest the essence of that fellowship with every other believer, regardless of what their theology is, what their culture is, their societal strata might be, whatever their particular devotional approach might be, whatever their worship liturgy might be, whatever their little idiosyncrasies personally might be, anybody who's a Christian is a part of the fellowship. And the reason it's important to understand that is because it makes us responsible for everybody, for absolutely everybody who's in Christ. Every saved person, mark this, is entitled to the full benefits of the fellowship. That's a really important thought. Everybody who is in Christ is really privileged to enjoy all the elements of involvement in the fellowship. It doesn't matter what their church is, doesn't matter what their background is, their education. It doesn't even matter what their idiosyncrasies of doctrine might be, their condition of life, their mental ability, their social skills or whatever. Everybody who's a believer is entitled to the fellowship and to the fullness of it and all its privileges. Therefore, that makes me responsible for everybody who is in the fellowship that God brings into my life. The Bible says God 
is no respecter of what? Person. Now, let me give you a little insight into this concept. Look at Matthew chapter 18, and we will intersect with Matthew 18 a couple of times in our study of fellowship. In the 18th chapter of Matthew, Jesus has a lot to say about how we treat each other in the fellowship. It's really what it's all about. And the picture that he uses here is that as Christians, we're all like little children. You come into the kingdom as a child or like a little child, he says back in verse 3 and 4. Uh, you came to Christ humbly, meekly, in a childlike way, with no achievements and no accomplishments that can in any way merit salvation. You came as humble as a child. You came totally dependent on God's mercy and grace and care. You came without resource, without achievement, without accomplishment, without anything to commend yourself. And, and the simplicity and the humility that is beautifully demonstrated in a little infant. That's how you came. You came into the kingdom. And now that you're in the kingdom, you're still like a child. We're all God's children. There's a childlikeness about all of us. And down in verse 10 is a very important statement. Down in verse 10, a very critical statement. Jesus says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. What little ones? Physical babies? No. Little children? No. Believers. These little ones I'm talking about. What little ones? These who are my little children. Don't despise one of these who belong to me. The word despise, kata froneo in the Greek, it means the froneo is to think. We get the English word frontal. Sometimes you talk about a frontal lobotomy or something used to, the, to refer to the brain. Um, froneo means to think. Kata is a preposition meaning down. Don't think down on anybody. Don't condescend to anybody. Don't look down on somebody. Don't despise somebody. Don't think little of somebody. Don't demean someone. Don't have a lack of appreciation for anybody within the framework of the fellowship. Do not despise one of these little ones. In other words, as a believer, we have to treat every other believer as better than ourselves, not less, right? Philippians 2, let each not look on his own things, but the things of others. Let each consider others better than themselves, Philippians 2 says. So we don't look down on any believer, no matter who it is, no matter what their characteristics might be, no matter what it is that they may do or not do, believe or not believe, if they're in Christ, we look up to them, not down. For I say to you, he says in verse 10, that their angels in heaven continually behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. What does that mean? That means that the angels of God, who are sent as ministering spirits to minister to the saints, are watching the face of the Father. Why are the angels constantly beholding the face of God? Because their job, according to Hebrews 1.14, is to minister to His children. And so they watch the face of the Father so that if the Father shows concern over any of His children, they can be ready to move to the assistance of those children. What this is saying is that the angels know that God the Father is profoundly concerned about even the least of His little ones. And so they watch His face all the time so they can see the concern and they can hear the dispatching words that come from the lips of the Father that say, Go and minister to that little one of mine that is suffering. And the point that Jesus is making is if the angels of God are so concerned about every one of God's children, if God Himself is so concerned about every one of His children, 
If this is a heavenly preoccupation, then you better be careful how you treat his children, right? It's a pretty serious issue here. And then in verse 12, he says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, doesn't he leave the ninety-nine on the mountain and go and search for the one that is straying? And if it turns out he finds it, Really, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 which have not gone astray. It's a simple little illustration. A shepherd can have a hundred sheep. That's a lot of sheep. One strays away. You might say, well, who needs uh, that one? I'm not going to jeopardize my life. I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to leave the 99 and go after the one. But a true shepherd will do that. A true shepherd will say, I want that one sheep enough to go get that one sheep and not be content with what remains. And the point again is that God is concerned about every single one of his sheep to the degree that he will go to whatever extremity is necessary to go find a wandering one and bring him back. So don't despise any of God's little ones, even those that wander away, even those that are somehow deficient, even those that put you in danger, even those that make life difficult for you. Because the angels are concerned about every one of them, the face of the Father is concerned about every one of them, and so should we be concerned about every one of them. So the basis of fellowship then is salvation. And anybody who is a believer, anybody who belongs to Christ, anybody who is one of his children by faith is in the fellowship. In the fellowship. Go back with me now to 1 John for a moment. And I want to say a little bit more about this really important treatment of the issue of fellowship here in chapter 1. Now, in verse 3, we noted that we were saved in order that we might have fellowship with one another, with God the Father, and with uh, His Son, Jesus Christ, and then we added also with the Holy Spirit. Now, look at verse 5. And this is the message which we have heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. That is a profound text. Sometimes you hear people say, well, I, I, I think one of the easiest books to understand, one of the best books to give a new Christian is First John let me tell you something. This is one of the most confounding, complex, difficult books in all the life of my ministry. I think I had more trouble rightly interpreting this book than any other book that I can remember in my years of ministry. It is a profound book. And you have to work your way through almost every word to unravel the depths and the profundity of this tremendous treatment of what it means to be a Christian. But what he is saying here is, just summing it up in verses 5 to 7, that little phrase in the middle of verse 7, we have fellowship with one another. Who is that? Who is he talking about? He's talking about the people who walk in the light, the people who are being cleansed. That's who he's talking about. He's talking then again about believers. The fellowship belongs to the light walkers. The fellowship belongs to the people continually being cleansed. Again, I'm simply emphasizing the definition of the basis of fellowship is that it is salvation. If you are saved, you are in the fellowship. If you are in the light of Christ and you're walking in that light and your sins are being forgiven, you are in the fellowship. That means that uh, you're responsible to participate fully in all the privileges and responsibilities of the fellowship, which we'll talk about later. That's the basis of fellowship. A Christian then can never be out of fellowship. Never. It would be like, um, let me see if I can illustrate it. 
If you're flying in a 747, you're 35,000 feet above the ocean, you're flying across the Atlantic or whatever, and the plane hits some kind of an air pocket and wham, and that often happens usually just after they've served dinner, you know. And you go crashing down, and I've seen that a few times. I've even seen a plane hit so hard that the, the ceilings came down on people's heads. And a person falls on the floor. Maybe they injure themselves. Somebody comes along, picks them up, dusts them off, gets them back in their seat. That's a whole lot different than falling out of the airplane. And as you live your Christian life, you may stumble in the aisle, but that's a whole lot different than falling out of the airplane. It's one thing to be on a great ship uh, crossing the ocean and stumble and fall on the deck. It's something else to fall overboard. As a believer in the fellowship, you may fall in the aisle, you may have some air pockets in your life, you may stumble on the deck, but the promise of God is you're never going to fall out of the plane or over the rail into the sea because God holds you in the power of his promise. So you'll always be in the fellowship. Now, let me put it to you this way. You may lose the joy of your salvation, but you'll never lose your salvation, right? What did David say? when he was confessing his sin to God, restore unto me the what? The joy of my salvation. He didn't say, give me back my salvation. He said, give me back the joy. And I'm simply saying that you are never out of the fellowship. So that all of us who belong to Christ are in the fellowship. Now, let me say this to you. All of that to say this, if you're not a Christian here, you're going to find yourself in a very difficult situation. I remember a few years ago, we had a... A guy who came out here to play on the basketball team, he was really a neat guy, came from Detroit. I had met his parents back in Detroit on one occasion and, uh, and met him and he came to school. And after about a um, couple of months, sometime in November as I remember, early December, he left the school, just picked up and he was gone. And... Uh, I said, uh, what was the reason for that? He didn't talk to me even though we knew each other. And I was concerned about his spiritual life. I was concerned that what he claimed with his mouth, he didn't live with his life. And someone said to me, well, you know, he left because he just could not stand so many people concerned about his spiritual development. And I'll tell you, being in this kind of fellowship, where people are going to be stimulating one another to love and good works, where people are going to be sharing deeply the things of spiritual life, if you don't know Jesus Christ, it's going to get pretty intense. It's going to become pretty difficult because you're going to be an outsider looking in. And maybe they don't know that. They're going to assume things about you and assume things from you that you can't do because you don't really know Christ at all. So it could be a very convicting, very troubling, very distressing kind of environment for you. And my prayer is that you'll get so distressed you see your sin and you'll get saved and become a part of the fellowship. But I know there are some of you sitting here this morning who are going to be moving in and around an intense divine and spiritual fellowship, but you're not a part of it. And that's going to be really difficult for you to deal with. And we're just going to pray that the Holy Spirit will so convict you of your sin 
that you'll come to a true faith in Jesus Christ. That's our prayer. And we're glad you're here. I mean, we assumed you're a Christian when you came, but we also know that there are those of us who can talk the talk but don't walk the walk, right? And there are some who uh, are going to say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, I never knew you, so we know you're here. My prayer for you is that you'll come to know Christ and be a part of the fellowship. And then when you become a part of the fellowship, then you really belong. Well, will you understand that if you don't know Christ, this is how it has to be in the fellowship? People are going to care about you. They're going to care about your life. They're going to care about what you do. They're going to want to love you. They're going to want to share with you. They're going to want to get into your heart and help you. And if you don't know Christ, it's going to be real tough to fight that off. And will you try to understand that this is the nature of fellowship? If they assume you're a Christian, they're going to assume this fellowship exists. All true Christians are one. So if you're on the outside looking in, it's going to be a tough place to be. No time like the present to make things right with Jesus Christ. I've been quoting a little bit from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his wonderful book, Life Together. Remember I told you he died in a German concentration camp. He died lonely for Christian fellowship, but he wrote some profound things about fellowship. Let me quote you again from what he said. He said, I am a brother to another person through what Jesus Christ did for me and to me. The other person has become a brother to me through what Jesus Christ did for him. Well, that's just so simple and yet so profound. The reason we have a fellowship isn't because of what we are, but because of what Christ has done for us and in us. The fact, says Bonhoeffer, that we are brethren only through Jesus Christ is of immeasurable significance. My brother is that person who has been redeemed by Christ and delivered from his sin and called to faith and eternal life. So, it's, it's not what a man is in himself, even as a Christian, he says. It's not his spirituality. It's not his piety. It's not his theology that constitutes the basis of our fellowship. What determines our fellowship is what that man or woman is by reason of Jesus Christ. Our fellowship with one another consists solely in what Christ has done for us. That's what I mentioned on Monday, that when you receive one another, it's as if you are receiving Christ. And in that same passage that I read to you earlier in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says that whoever receives one such little child on the ground of my name receives me. It isn't what you are that creates the fellowship it is what Christ is in you that creates the fellowship. So I'm not looking for people who are like-minded and have the same theology and the same social interests and the same recreations and, and who have that intangible kind of attraction that draws certain people together. That's not the fellowship in the purest sense. It's not what they are. It's what Christ in them is. Let me say something else. And Bonhoeffer was dead on when he, when he wrote about this. Christian fellowship is not an ideal to which we attain. It is a reality in which we live. It is not an ideal we're trying to achieve. We're not trying to create Christian fellowship. We are in it. It is not an ideal to be achieved. It is a reality to be expressed. So, the basis of fellowship, salvation. There are lots of people that God brings into my life and their theology differs from mine. 
but I have a responsibility because of what Christ is in them to minister to them as my brother and my sister. There are people that come across my path that are far more ignorant of biblical truth than I am, and I can't interact with them on the nuances of theology, and I can't deal with them in some of the refinements of doctrine, and maybe they're a little less mature than I might be, and they express more carnality, and maybe there are so many things that they don't understand about Christian living, and fellowshipping with them does have its difficulties, but nonetheless, because of what Christ is in them, I have a responsibility to live out the life that we share together on their behalf. I have people come across my path all the time who are in sin, who are not walking in the simplicity of devotion to Jesus Christ, who are not living a pure life as we sung about this morning, um, does that eliminate my responsibility to them? No, it just shapes my responsibility to them. It just defines my responsibility to them. They are my brother and sister in Christ, and it's critical for me to approach them as a brother and sister in Christ, in whom Christ lives and moves and walks, and to try to be strength to their weakness as they can be strength to my weakness. There is no definition of fellowship then other than that it is the association of those who share the common life of Jesus Christ. Secondly, I want to talk briefly about the nature of fellowship. The nature of it. And I'm just going to say this briefly because our time is gone. The nature of fellowship is sharing in a word. It is sharing. And we're right back again to what I said at the very outset this morning. Fellowship is sharing the realities of spiritual life. It is sharing the realities of spiritual life. It is, it is giving oneself away. And of course, it's built on humility. It's built on Philippians 2. Each one not thinking on his own things, but the things of others. Each one considering others better than himself. The whole concept of fellowship is I give myself away for you. If you need prayer, I pray for you. If you need instruction, I instruct you. If you need love, I love you. If you need edification, I edify you. If, if you need um, confrontation, I confront you. If you need uh, restoration, I restore you. It's, I give myself to you. That's all it is. It's the nature of it. And as the Lord brings people through our paths here at school and in our families and our friendships and our churches and all of our associations, the person who really maximizes the fellowship has the spiritual sensitivity to feel the, the pulse of the people close and is always looking into the relationship to find the spiritual need. Is never satisfied with a superficial kind of relationship, never satisfied with a trivial kind of relationship, never satisfied on the social level, but a person who really understands fellowship is always looking for that access to the spiritual need of someone else. Boy, that is a sign of spiritual commitment. That is a sign of spiritual maturity. I mean, you can kind of waltz your way through your Christian relationships on a very superficial level. You can reduce them to, you know, talking about the latest information or news in class or talking about the latest sports stuff or the latest fashions or the latest line of gossip or the latest stuff going on on your wing or in your school or whoever uh, might be carrying on in your group. You can even talk about Christian things from time to time and issues of scripture, but real fellowship happens when you start to look for those avenues to deal with the issues of spiritual reality in each other's lives, and you start being willing to give yourself away on behalf of those folks. It's really sort of pulled together in Hebrews 10.23 where it talks about stimulating one another to love and good works. If you're engaged in friendship of a spiritual nature, real fellowship, 
you're going to be a catalyst for somebody else's spiritual growth. So look around you and ask yourself if the people that you associate with are growing spiritually as a result of your influence. Because that's how you can tell if you are really committed to fellowship. Because you're going to be a catalyst that's going to cause spiritual growth. You're going to stimulate love and you're going to stimulate spiritual love and you're going to stimulate good works. 2 Corinthians 8.4 calls it the fellowship of serving. It's a great phrase. The fellowship of serving. It's a matter of giving myself away for the sake of someone else. It's a matter of sharing spiritual life. It's a matter of finding my way past the surface in a friendship for the spiritual need. And I'm not talking about being some kind of profound counselor. I'm, I'm just talking about being a spiritual friend, somebody who cares enough to get beyond the superficial and the surface. The nature of fellowship, sharing, that's the heart of it. Aristides uh, was an apologist in ancient times who wrote about Christians. He wrote really an apologia, a defense of Christianity. This is what he said about them. They abstain from all impurity in the hope of the recompense that is to come in another world. When there is among them a man that is poor and needy, and if they have not an abundance for necessities, they fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with the necessary food. Such is the law of the Christians, and such is their conduct. What a commendation. If they find somebody with a need, and they don't have what it takes to meet the need, they'll fast two or three days so they can meet the need. It's that selflessness, it's that kind of preoccupation with somebody else that is at the heart and soul of the sharing that is real fellowship. Sharing love, stimulating righteousness in mutual humility. Well, we didn't get to the main point. Time's gone. So we'll have to hold that for Friday. And that's the danger to fellowship. And you know what that is. That's sin. And that's what we'll talk about along with the responsibilities on Friday. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we are so grateful that you've called us into the fellowship. We thank you that the fellowship is because of what Christ has done for us and who he is in us, not because of anything of ourselves. Lord, we come from so many backgrounds. Some of these precious folks that are here are confident. And they've been able to build strong relationships and fulfilling relationships. Life is really rich and rewarding for them. Some of them may may even be deeply in love with someone in particular, and life takes on so much fulfillment there. Some may feel confident in the academics and confident in the environment here and very much at home and in the fellowship. And then, on the other hand, Lord, there may be some folks who are hurting and lonely and some of your precious little children who are on the outside looking in and wondering if they're going to be accepted and loved and cared for and Maybe if there'll be a place for them to fit. Oh, Father, help us to stretch beyond those we're comfortable with. Help us to stretch beyond those that just sort of fit our little definition of what people ought to look like and act like and talk like and dress like. Help us to reach out to, to those folks who belong to you. Don't let us look down on anybody, but look up to everybody. Help us to treat each other 
the way they ought to be treated, knowing that the Father in heaven is watching how we treat his little ones, and the angels are watching his face to see his concern so they can come to the aid of those who are looked down on. Oh, give us a great love for each other, a deep love for each other. Help us to get past those ridiculous and fleshly barriers that tend to divide us all. Help us to look past the surface and see the responsibility spiritually to stimulate one another to love and good works. The responsibility to look on the things of others and not on our own things and therefore have the mind of Christ who thought it not something to be grasped at, to be equal with God, but humbled himself. Took upon him the form of a servant. Was made in the likeness of flesh. Father, help us to be humble as Christ humbled himself in behalf of others. We thank you that the nature of our fellowship is sharing. All of us who are in the fellowship need to know that it's our privilege, our responsibility, and our joy to share our life. Help us to get past the surface, to build relationships that really matter, relationships of love, relationships of righteousness, and to stimulate one another to be all we can be in Christ, in whose precious name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you all. Have a great day.